Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 526 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. This week, I wanted to start off with a question that Catherine actually asked in the podcast listener community on Facebook. And of course, if you have not yet joined our podcast listener community on Facebook, please do. It's free to join. Um, There are people there, writers and authors from all walks of life, emerging, established, aspiring. And um, it's a great way for all of us to connect. And I'm going to start answering some questions that are in the the podcast uh, Facebook group. So if you haven't yet joined, just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. So Catherine asked a really interesting question. She said, I have a piece of flash fiction accepted for publication in a literary mag. In the acceptance email, they also said, We also have sections on our website for audio and video content. If you wish to send a high-quality recording of yourself reading the work we will be publishing in the new issue, we would be happy to feature it online. Video recordings are particularly useful for sharing on our social media accounts. Okay, so Catherine has said, I'm happy to do audio. Video is a little more outside my comfort zone, but I'll give it a go. But I have questions. If you've been there, done that, does video get significantly more views than audio? Is it worth it? Considering this is 750 words, would you do a video of a reading of the whole piece or an excerpt? Would a video of my face reading it be enough or would I need a few effects, something to make it um, more attractive? I mean, my face is not attractive or exciting, at least to me. <laughs> this is what Catherine's saying. Um, does, it have, does having things like video online add to the zing a publisher of a long-form piece feels when they see it and read it in the bio you send with the hypothetical manuscript? And is there anything I should know before doing this? Any other how-to advice? All right, these are all great questions, Catherine. And what it boils down to is it really depends because it depends on the literary mag. So you haven't mentioned the name of the literary mag. And if it's, you know, the New Yorker, (laughs) go nuts, do everything that they've said. If it's a small literary mag without much of a following, then I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that you need to weigh up whether it's actually going to be worth your while. Because somebody else in the Facebook group, um, Peggy, mentioned, one thing I would ask myself is, what is the ROI, the return on investment, for you putting it on video? So a few things to consider here. Basically, if, for example, it's really easy for you to do audio or pretty easy for you to do video and you're confident and it's not going to stress you out and, you know, all that sort of thing, go nuts, do it. But if it's something that's going to stress you out, like I said, that's when I would be asking myself, okay, it's going to put me out of my comfort zone. It's going to cause me stress potentially, if it's going to cause you stress. I will do it if there's enough of a payoff. Like I said, if it was Vanity Fair, if it was The New Yorker, something like that, get out of your comfort zone and do it and do your best. But if they, if they're, if it's a smaller mag, and if they're using it basically to um, get traction on social media to pull people to their magazine, that's great, and we should definitely all support each other in that way. But you've got to ask yourself: 
Is it going to be too stressful? So the short answer is do it if it's easy, but if it's going to um, be a bit difficult, ask yourself whether it's worthwhile. The other thing though is that remember, once you give it to them, it's on their account. So it's on their social media, it's on their platform, it's on their whatever, right? And that's fine if you're not cringing about it or if you're really confident you've done a great job and so on. What you kind of don't want is, I don't know, a year from now kind of think, oh, I really didn't do a great job of that. And it's really awkward to ask somebody else to take stuff down off their platform when you gave it willingly in the first place. Because the question that you've asked here um, uh, does having things like video online add to the zing a publisher of a long form piece feels when they see or read it in the bio you send with a hypothetical manuscript? Maybe, yes, maybe not. But the point is you can add video to your own YouTube account, to your own Instagram reels, to your own, you know, social media when you're ready. Yeah. And you do want to be adding video that shows your personality. People aren't going to be judging your writing by your video, but they may um, make an opinion on whether you are um, uh, comfortable with promoting yourself or that sort of thing. Right. So you don't have to be forced into providing video in this particular instance if you're not confident about it. Important other thing to check is look at the video on this literary mag's site or wherever it is that they use video. Some people are expert at, at, uh, at hosting and, and curating and editing video and they only put video out there, even if it's provided by other people, that is good quality, that they have edited, that they've you know um, put the right captions on and so on. Other people jump on the video bandwagon before really knowing what is what's best practice. Um, and I don't know what the situation is with the people that you're dealing with, but what you want is to check out their use of video. And if their video is professional and slick and it looks great, then you're kind of in safe hands, right? Or you can assume you're in safe hands. But if you check out their video and the video they use is blurry and um, not very punchy and kind of really boring, then maybe there's a shoving video up there in the hope of, you know, like when you throw spaghetti at the wall and hoping that it sticks. So like I said, I can't make a comment without seeing the actual people that you're dealing with, the actual organization that you're dealing with. But there are, there are a number of things to consider about when you're determining whether or not you invest the time. Like I said, if it's easy for you and you know you're going to do a great job, go nuts. Um, otherwise, do a bit of investigation. See whether they're good at using video, whether they would edit the video that you provide to them or whether they'd whack it up there <laughs> with, with its, you know, with potentially um, its flaws and without doing any editing. If you do decide to go ahead with video, then some things to consider is ask them first, do they want portrait or landscape? Because you don't kind of want to be providing the wrong um, orientation if they're going to be using it for specific things. So do ask whether they want portrait or landscape. Also, make sure that 
you're in a quiet room. It shocks me sometimes the number of times people record video when there's a lot of random noise going on in the background. So make sure at minimum there's a quiet room. Ideally, you want to be using a microphone, but if you don't have a microphone, then try to make sure that whatever microphone that you're using, maybe it's on your laptop or your iPhone or whatever, is as close to you as possible. Make sure you are well lit. So you don't want to be backlit with the window behind you, right? You want the window to be facing um, you, you want to be facing the window so that you are well lit. If you aren't um, expert at lighting, don't do it at night, do it in the day again while you're facing the window. And, you know, just make sure there isn't a lot of clutter in the background or um, <laughs> a friend of mine was on TV and she recorded it via Zoom um, they did a Zoom call with her and her bra was in the background. So make sure there are things like that that um, are, are sorted out. So there, there, I mean, I could go on forever about how to use video, but there's some just really, really basic things to get right at the start. All right. I hope that is helpful, uh, Catherine. Oh, Catherine also did ask whether she should do read the whole 750 words or just an excerpt. Again, I would ask the the organisers, what they would prefer, whether they want a bit of an excerpt with, with a, um, uh, you know, uh, to find out more, read the read the read the publication, or whether they want the whole thing, and um, and make your decision, you know, based on that, so that you're not wasting time if they only want less than a minute, minute or something like that. All right, I hope that's useful, Catherine. I'm going to move on to a tip that I have for you. Because sometimes, okay, if you have a name that some people find a bit tricky to pronounce, did you know that you can create an audio name badge and embed it on your LinkedIn profile or at the bottom of your emails or whatever? There's an online app called Name Badge that lets you do this. Now, obviously, getting someone name, someone's name right is a sign of respect, and that's as true in the writing world as as it is in other professions. If you're talking with editors or agents, publishers, other writers, or when you're interviewing someone for an article, you want to get their name right, or at least give it a respectful try. If you happen to have a name that you know some people struggle with, try creating the audio name badge, and hopefully then they can learn how to say it on their own. I actually found out about this name badge app from someone on Twitter called Sudarshan Krishnamurthy, and his tweet said, contrary to popular belief, my name is not actually pronounced. I'm not even going to try with that one. <laughs> We've heard that a lot, right? It really annoys me too. Obviously, that's just rude. There are polite ways to ask someone how to say their name and not just dismiss it. Okay, I'll put the link for the name badge app in the show notes. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of the Book Haters Book Club by Gretchen Anthony. Here's a bit about the book. Elliot, the beloved late co-owner of Over the Rainbow Bookshop, believed that those who hated books simply hadn't found the right book yet. He always had the perfect book suggestion for the self-proclaimed book hater. Now his grief-ridden business partner Irma has agreed to sell the cozy shop to condo developers, but others won't give up the bookshop without a fight. When Irma breaks the news to her daughters, Bree and Lainey, and Elliot's romantic partner, Tom, they are aghast. 
Over the Rainbow has been Bree and Lainey's sanctuary since childhood, and Tom would do anything to preserve Elliot's legacy. Together they conspire to save the bookshop, even if it takes some snooping, gossip and minor sabotage. Okay, it's a feel-good read, and it's a love letter to everyday heroes, those booksellers and librarians dedicated to putting the right books in the right hands every day. I think this book is right up our alley, right? So I have three copies to give away. Entries close on Monday the 20th of February. So go to writercentercomau slash win and follow the instructions to enter The Book Haters Book Club by Gretchen Anthony. That's writercentercomau slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because it's word of the week time. The word of the week this week is skijoring. Skijoring. That's S-K-I-J-O-R-I-N-G. Skijoring. Okay, so this is nuts, but it's real. Skijoring is a sport in which a skier is pulled over snow or ice, generally by a horse, reindeer, or even a dog. So it looks a lot like water skiing, but on snow. It's a Norwegian word, but yes, it's in the Macquarie Dictionary. And I recommend you watch some videos on the internet. It really is as wild as it sounds. Okay, skijoring. You learned a new sport this week. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today I'm talking with Danuka McKenzie, whose latest novel is Taken, and it's brilliant. Her first novel was The Torrent and was the winner of the HarperCollins Banjo Prize. She's also a graduate of several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, and I wanted to talk to her about her latest novel and also the key things she's learned from her journey of being a writer so far, because as you'll hear from Danuka, the job of being a writer is very different to writing. Thanks so much for joining us today, Danuka. Oh, thank you, Valerie. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited about this book, taken so many, so many things to discuss. It's before it's ev- it, it was even launched, it went into reprint. I know this book is going to be massive, not <laughs> least because it is so well written. It's as if you've been writing for decades, Danuka. I'm so happy for you, but also because it's just got one of those covers, right, and that just makes you go, I'm buying this book. And then when you ultimately read the book, you're not disappointed. It's just, oh. I'm just so a bit emotional actually and so excited for you but this is your second novel the first one was the torrent 
which yes. went very well and um, set you on the path of um, being an author. But now it's like you've been an author for a year or so. Well, you've been an author for longer than that, but you've been around, you know what I mean? You, people have seen you on bookshelves for a year or so. I'd love to talk to you about your experiences in this last year. So before we do that, though, tell us what Taken is about. Okay. No, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for that introduction. And I totally agree with you. It's all, it feels completely wild. And my head was absolutely blown on Tuesday when I got that email from my publisher about it going to reprint. I was like, what is going on there? That was entirely unexpected. So yeah, no, it's, I've been incredibly fortunate. So um, yes, so basically Taken, as you said, is my follow-up um, to my debut, The Torrent, and it is a standalone mystery, but it follows the stories of the characters that were set up in The Torrent. So Detective Kate Miles, her family and her police colleagues who are all based in northern New South Wales. Um, and in Taken, we pick up Kate's story about four months after the events of The Torrent. Um, she is back at work from maternity leave and she's struggling on multiple fronts. <laughs> Um, she's got a new bub to look after. She's trying to prove herself uh, back and ready to be at work. Um, she's kind of dealing with the mental health fallout from some of the events that happened in the torrent. And there also appears to be sort of a potential uh, corruption scandal brewing in the media, which may involve her dad, who is the ex-chief inspector of the station she works out of. So that's kind of the base setting when we open the, the book and um, and in the midst of all of this, she then gets handed uh, sort of the biggest case of her career to date, which is the which is a case of a young infant going missing, uh, apparently abducted from her home, and it's Kate's job to find out who has taken baby Sienna. Um, and then the story goes from there. And, of course, it can be read as a standalone as well. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So it definitely is a standalone mystery. Um, I think, you know, the people who have read The Torrent will obviously, you know, see those little connections, but it absolutely can be read as a standalone mystery. Yes. I think a lot of people are going to discover you through Taken. Like I said, this is the this is the kind of book that's the book, if you know what I mean, the novel. I mean, The Torrent was fantastic as well, but I've just got a great feeling about this novel and I'm so happy for you but so keen to see how it unfolds because I think this is the next level all right talk to me about what your experience has been in the past year you've now gone from debut author to you know you've got your second novel out what were some of the things that you learned um about this journey or they could be surprising um, things that you've learned that you that have made you change the way you do things. Things have been beneficial to you. Go. <laughs> okay. All right. Go. Um, look, I think you know as a whole, I would say it's incredibly like it's been an overwhelming year, but like full of amazing things that I would have never expected to happen. Uh, but I think you know in terms of some of the things that really helped me kind of navigate this whole year has been, I think, finding my tribe a little bit. And, and I really wanted to mention sort of the debut book gang, hashtag debut book gang. <laughs> and we all came together sort of um, on Twitter um, back in late 2021 uh, when we were all kind of these nervous 
you know, people, writers who are just about to have their debuts out in 2022 and um, the lovely Natasha Scholl, who's the author of um, her memoir, Found Wanting, she kind of put a little tweet out saying, hey, you know, any kind of uh, people having books out in 2022, do you want to get together? And there was, you know, we all um, joined in. I think in the end there was about 17 of us. And so we all kind of ended up having this kind of WhatsApp group and uh, we had kind of semi-regular get-togethers over Zoom. And we ended up becoming basically this cheerleader squad for each other, you know, and this support group. And we and we needed it because it was sort of like we were all going through the exact same thing at the exact same time or very close to each other. And we could kind of um, like problem solve in a way for each other, like, you know, talk through people's nerves, talk through people's anxieties, you know, talk through kind of publicity events. Oh, God, that interview went really badly or, you know, whatever. You know, those kind of nerves that you can only talk to to people who know exactly what you're going through. So that I found was just one of the most amazing things. And now those people have basically become some of my closest friends, you know, which is this extraordinary thing that happens on social media. And because we all kind of went through that process or that experience together. So that has been, I think, one of the loveliest parts of um, this year. And it's kind of continued on um, uh, sort of in 2023 because I think one, one other um, of the authors, uh, Denise Picton, she has also got a second book out coming out this year. So we're kind of, you know, we're still all absolutely supporting um, and cheerleading each other. I love that 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 has arisen because somebody just put something out on Twitter and you're connected and became, you know, real-life friends and have been so supportive of each other. And it makes so much sense when you think about it to have gotten together with other debut novelists because you are going through the exact thing, same thing at the exact, exact same time. And sometimes you actually need different different communities as you progress like as you're writing you're not ready for the debut book gang yet right and, and then after you've written then you, you progress and then you progress to maybe a different um uh group of people depending on where you are but i i love that that, that that's worked out so well for you the other interesting thing about um uh about your journey well about anyone's journey really but i saw you at a lot of events well, or I saw your name at a lot of events, even if I didn't go to them. Um, and you were out there, not only out there physically, like at events, um, but also um, you did publicity, you know. Uh, I saw articles on you and stuff like that. What was that experience like and what did you learn from the whole promotion thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, that is definitely a thing that, you know, authors really have to get their head around. And I think it's the idea around, I guess, becoming that advocate for your book because, um, you know, like I was incredibly lucky and I'm so fortunate that I got all these invites and things like that to various events. Uh, but sort of in general, I guess you have this period, like sort of let's say three, four, five weeks where, you know, you might get a publicist who will, you know, organise events for you. But after that period, essentially, they move on to the next book baby, you know, and someone else's dream that they have to carry as well, you know, because they're carrying all the book babies that are coming out that year, you know. So, uh, so at a certain point, you know, you then, it's your job to kind of continue to advocate for your book and and kind of um, keep your book alive in the public's mind, hopefully for for the whole year, not those kind of, uh, first few weeks. So I guess it's 
um, you know, having kind of honest conversations with your publicists of what they can do and then what your own contacts are and what, you know, who you can approach. Um, but I think what I also learned was that it is important to try and pitch events and, and um, sessions like across the year. So you're not just planning all your interviews or, or everything sort of in those first six weeks and then it's just crickets afterwards, you know. So to try and, you know, get those, you know, like author talks if you can with libraries and things like that, um, you know, across the year. So you have kind of things sprinkled across the year that you can post about um, and, and so you know, and get that. Were you Sorry, strategic yeah. with that? Were you Did you purposely try and plan those out through throughout the year? Well, um, when I looked at my calendar and went, okay, there's a whole bunch of things happening here. And so I would talk to the people who were um, giving me opportunities and go, hey, can I do something around, you know, do we still have dates around here type thing? And so, you know, some things were obviously festivals and it's their set date, you know, you can't change that. But um, there were things like I got sort of workshop opportunities and things like that and I was able to kind of, um, and they would give me a whole range of dates to go and then I could look at my calendar and go okay I could I could probably and that was also I mean that was also partly for your own emotional health as well because you know it, there is an emotional cost with kind of prepping for these kind of events particularly if you're not used to it and particularly kind of speaking you know that public speaking in front of a lot of people um, and often you know some of your peers which I think it was kind of more nerve-wracking for me you know, to have kind of peers sit there like other authors who you have on your shelves coming to see you you're like oh even more nerve-wracking in a way you know so um and then there's that kind of emotional come down afterwards because you're like a rock star for a whole of one day and then you go back to like cleaning the bathroom and whatever right so so there's all of that and I think you you have to stretch that out like it's it's almost impossible to do that you know like uh, there is you know I guess you get burnt out a little bit so so it is good to kind of spread that out and and um, yeah to think about that when you're planning events obviously only if you can but I think it is it is a good idea to sort of pitch to say some of the smaller festivals or things like that where you can um you know try and um yeah as, as I said kind of spread it out across the year if you can yeah I think that's really smart actually because when I was watching all of your activity um, over the course of the last year, I thought that it was great that you were doing things on a regular basis. So there are some authors, though, who would say, oh, no, I've got a three-month window and I don't want to do anything after that. And I think that's personally, I think it's a little bit short-sighted, but um, I think it makes much more sense to do these continuously. But how did you, because as you say, there, it's there's there's bandwidth, right? Um, associated with doing this, these things, how did you then manage to fit the writing in when you were doing promo and events as well? Like what did you have to do to manage both those things? Yeah, and and that was a real learning curve this year because um, it was, you know, it was literally my first year of doing all of this. So um, I think there were definitely during this year, I probably didn't get the balance right. You know, there was a lot of time where I was being, I was busy being a writer, but not busy writing. And they're two completely separate things, you know, um, and you you can get really involved in being a writer, i.e., you know, the publicity and the and the kind of the, you know, the pitching to events and and kind of getting involved in social media and making reels and all the rest of it. And they suck all your time. And in the end, you still have to write. Like you have to find the time to write because that's the thing that got you into this in the first place, and that's the that's the thing that you 
kind of love, right? Like that's what you want to find space for. Um, and in the end, like one book doesn't make a career, right? Like you've got to keep doing the thing that that got you into this position. So, um, so for me, that has been kind of uh, a bit, yeah, very much a learning curve to try and work out how I do that. Um, and and it is about carving out that time. So what it has meant for me is like basically trying to put like a ten minute timer. <laughs> almost sometimes you know when when and just to try and get a few little words down or, or whatever and to try and sh- like short um sh- you know short stints um you know where because eventually those short stints like even if you only put like 100 words down like eventually that that will add up uh because sometimes you don't get the big chunks of time because i found because even when you're doing festivals and stuff the, the time in that is also reading the books you know that you're um appearing with in with other panel members and things like that so there is a lot of time involved in that in that breath um which you don't really think about because you think oh yeah it's a festival and you go to a festival and you're there for an hour but it's not that it's yeah so yeah so I think it's just trying to negotiate that and working how that fits into your lifestyle um so you just said um putting like a 10 minute timer did you ever write in think, okay, I've got 10 minutes now before whatever, I'm going to keep writing on the novel. Can you write in those 10-minute times? Well, what I mean with the 10-minute, I mean, it's probably more like a 20 or 30-minute thing for me. I I wouldn't probably say close to 10. But what that does is it keeps you in touch with the manuscript and it's often the problem with the long, um, like when you're away from the manuscript for a while, it just takes another couple, like it takes about a week or two weeks often in my case to get back into it and like get into the rhythm again. And then after that two weeks, suddenly you got another event again. So then, you know, like, so you're never in that, like you're never in the rhythm or never in the zone of the manuscript. So I think it's just, you may not write a lot, but you, you might just be even reviewing like a chapter before or, you know, like, but, but you're in that, so your mind is still thinking about the manuscript. And I think that's that's what that half an hour is for. It's not yes. so much, you know what I'm trying to say? It's not so yeah, much like absolutely. a thing, but, um, yeah. So one of the things that you said to me is that you need to know your goalposts and expectations are going to change. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so basically in terms of goalposts, I guess, you know, this was something I was thinking about because when I guess before I got published, you know, really my focus was really, okay, well, once I get published, it'll all be kind of fine. And, you know, I wasn't really thinking beyond that. I guess I didn't know enough about, you know, that point to think about it. But once I got published, you know, um, suddenly all these other things, um, you know, like sales figures and like invites to, you know, whatever um, festivals and reviews and, you know, shortlistings, all, all that kind of stuff suddenly, you know, like people are talking about it, it's it's in your kind of um, social media feed and all the rest of it. And so suddenly those things kind of get into your head. And I guess, you know, and I think you wouldn't be human if you didn't, you know, somewhat get into all of that. But I think in the end you have to accept what you can control and what you absolutely cannot control. Mm. And all of that stuff is stuff you cannot control. And I have been incredibly fortunate with in terms of the festival invites and all the rest of it, but it's not something I expected. It was all bonus. Like every time I got an email going, hey, you know, would you like to come to this festival? I'm like, oh, my God, absolutely. <laughs> like, 
what do you mean? Like, seriously? You know, it was a complete surprise. Everything was a bonus at that point. So I think so when you kind of potentially get down on yourself um, on on all those kind of parameters, I think it's worth thinking about kind of past you from five years ago um, who only wanted to get published, who would have been deliriously happy to have been in this position and literally have a publisher's email on their email address that you can email and they email you back. You know, like that is an incredible position to be in and I think it's just worthwhile just giving that past you a virtual high five and going, you know, we did the thing, like we did the thing and it's fine. Like it's we achieved the thing and everything else is bonus. It may happen, it may not happen, you know, you can't control it. So, yeah. Love it. Okay. The other thing that um, writers can get really stressed out about really stressed out about um, and different writers handle it very differently is reviews. So how did you handle reviews? Are you pretty, you know, um, okay with, you know, quite happy to read them? And (laughs) I mean, there were so many raving reviews about your book. There's not really an issue. Um, oh, no, I think you can definitely find the the, the two-star reviews on Goodreads of, um, of the torrent. That's totally, you know, it's definitely there. But but I think it's, look, Goodreads is one of those things that I think writers just should stay away from, like if you can. In saying that, I obviously went on Goodreads when my debut came out because it's it's sort of like because it's the first time it's out there in the world and you just you have that curiosity of what people think about it. Um, but at the same time, it's like it is just a fact of life that no piece of art, no piece of work will ever, you know, be good for, for everyone. Like it's just because reading is a subjective experience and 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 good, within inverted commas, is, is a subjective measure. Like there's no objective kind of measure of good, you know, and that's why all those things like long listings and all those kind of competitions and stuff that still there's a measure of subjectivity in all of that right so and there's and that's what writers talk about when they say there is a bit of luck involved in all of this stuff, right and so you can't you just have to accept that if you're gonna put your work out there some people are gonna love it some people are not and that's just the way it is and it's the same with yourself I mean you don't connect to every single piece of work that you read and that's that's fine. Like, that's okay. That's why, you know, there's there's millions of readers, you know, and you will find your audience, you know, and that's fine. Like, I, I just think, um, I think it's hard for the writing community because as writers, we tend to be book recommenders, you know, like, and that, that's something I got out of the um, book gang, you know, like we tend to be book recommenders. So we read widely, but we don't, we only talk about the books that really, that we love, right? But Goodreads, it's, it, that's not what it is. It's, it's readers reviewing your book and they might love it, they might hate it, and they're going to say that. So it's just one of those things that you just have to be, um, yeah, you have to kind of develop that tough skin, unfortunately. So with- on that, have you stopped yourself from reading Goodreads? Yeah, I've, I've met, yeah, I haven't been on there for ages. Like that, that's not something I do anymore. Um, I used to, I definitely used to. So probably the first, I would say, I reckon the first probably three to six months, I was on there fairly, three months, yes, kind of almost constantly. 
And then probably, you know, I kind of slowly weaned myself off. I, I honestly haven't been there for months now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now, the other thing that you've already touched on is are you busy writing or are you busy being a writer? What uh, On that, you're, you've been um, great on social media, in interacting with people, in connecting, that sort of thing. How much time do you think you... And have have you spent just the right amount of time? Too much? Too little? Do you think doing that? Oh, that's really hard to say because I think I, I have definitely got better at it over time. I mean, I think I found it quite. Um, it wasn't something I was used to doing at the start. You know, when I first started in social media, and I would get quite like, oh god things that I'm saying are on the internet within <laughs> like it feels like huge you know whereas but but now I'm far more used to it and and I feel like um the people who interact with you are actually just part of the writing community and they're just as invested in reading and writing and and kind of um you know kind of lifting you up as 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 you are so I think you know like particularly sort of that bookstagram community and the people who genuinely read and, and are putting stuff out there and go to a lot of trouble, like with the photographs and stuff of, you know, making your book look nice. Like I think they deserve that respect back to go, hey, you know, thanks for doing that. That's really lovely of you. I think that that's the kind of the absolute least I could do to give them that time. So I think in terms of how much, whether it's the optimal time, I mean, I think that question should be asked of my family. <laughs> So uh, whether I am spending the optimal amount of time on social media or not, um, I would depends on the day. I would say um, certainly getting up to now, like I, I noticed, my social media use has absolutely increased now that we're coming up to the yes, release of yes. the um, So there are periods, you know, and um, there are definitely busier periods than others. Are you now writing book three? Yes, I am writing book three. So how uh, far into it are you? Is it about Kate? Um, is it a similar, you know, genre? Yes. So we are basically back into Kate's world. Um, and so it's the third in the series and I am around about the 60,000 mark on that. Oh, wow. You're really into so, it. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I, and, and I think definitely like what we were talking about before, we're trying to find time for that, for that writing. I would say that, um, you know, it was like this is the first time I've written to like deadline, like a proper like you know because I have a contract for the sec- uh, third one, sorry. Um, and so that was really hard, kind of trying to navigate time for that. You know, whilst doing kind of publicity for one, you know, and and kind of editing taken, and then finding right finding time to write the third one. So that was um, quite hard, and so I found this this Christmas kind of break period really helpful because I could actually like properly spend time on it um and that's been great because I had like proper uninterrupted writing time which has been which has meant like quite a lot of chunks of words went into it compared to <laughs> that leader I remember that you you didn't you weren't one of those people who grew up thinking oh I want to be a writer you know R- writing kind of came to you by accident in a sense do you recognize your life now compared to four years ago no I don't and I think like in like I'm so I I 
feel so incredibly privileged to, to be able to do this and to be able to, you know, like I guess have the financial position to kind of basically spend the majority of my time writing um, is, yeah, it's like it's huge and it's it's kind of it's mind-blowing because you have something to compare it with. You kind of go, like, even on the worst day writing, it's still what I'd write. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm, because yes. uh, I, I know what otherwise I could be doing, you know. So, yeah, no, I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to to have had this opportunity and, and kind of, uh, you know, to me, as I said, everything is a bonus. Like, I literally never get, you know, never expected to write, never expected to get published. So every single thing is a bonus and I'm just going to, you know, ride it as far as it takes me, you know, and if that's just one more book, so be it. You know, oh, no, Tanuka, you have book. cemented yourself as a mainstay in this genre, so that is not going to be an issue. But it's been great to catch up, but I want to talk about something quickly. Um, it's a little bit different to what I usually talk about because I really do think, I mean, apart from the fact that it's a fantastically written story, I do believe that the cover is just a winner. Did you get to have any input in into that process? How did that work? How did how did the cover decision work? Yeah, look, um, I have to say, uh, Louisa Maggio, and I hope I'm saying her last name properly, because um, you know you only have the social media tag. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, incredible cover. I just love it so much. The minute I saw it, I was like, oh my god. Yes, done. Yeah, dusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we were we wanted to stay with the same, certainly the same colours and the mm. same, you know. So so it, there was a connection to the torrent, but um, you know, my publisher was saying, you know, we don't want it to be the exact same thing. Like we don't want another detective there type thing. Um, and so yes, so we talked about. Uh, so there's a scene, I guess, in terms of uh, in the scene. It, in the book where, uh, you know, there's, there's a slider to their back door. So we were talking about, oh, whether it should be like maybe the back door open and, you know, like a slider there, you know, so that kind of image with like image of like the bushland in the background. Uh, we were talking about there's a scene, um, you know, again, uh, where there's a kind of like, a, I guess, a road layaway where, you know, there's a sort of a clue found. And we were thinking, of, you know, potentially images of a road or that kind of thing. And then we kind of just came back to the pram, <laughs> not the pram, sorry, the, the cot, I mean, yeah. uh, or the bassinet to go, you know what, why don't we just do that? <laughs> um, and so so we had a few ideas and and I think, you know, we went through like at least one round where we looked at things and we're like, oh, that's not quite um, the one. And I think, um, yeah, and then sort of the you whole. You cracked it. <laughs> yeah, you cracked, yeah, yeah, exactly. The cot. I think, and and whoever, you know, like, I don't know, I, I guess it's just finding that image and then suddenly, yep, that was it. Says yeah. it all. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. It well, it's so, I'm so happy for you and thank you so much for catching up with us today and good luck. Well, you don't need luck. It's going to sell its socks off with Taken. Thank you so much, Valerie, and thank you so much to the Australian Writers' Centre. Thank you for your ongoing support. I've just been, yeah, so grateful. Thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. 
We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. All right, we're almost at the end of this week's episode. I have a fun fact for you before you go. Did you know that a fountain pen, now remember fountain pens? My dad had a fountain pen and I just thought it was the most grown up thing when I was little. I wanted a fountain pen on my of my own and when I eventually got one, of course, I thought they were incredibly impractical, but there's still, there's a bit of romance associated with a fountain pen, right? Anyway, a fountain pen is called a fountain pen, not because it sprays ink everywhere like a fountain, but because the ink is held in a reservoir, whereas the dip pens the ink was external and you had to keep dipping your pen into it every few words. But of course, a fountain pen has its own internal source of ink. So in fact, the word fountain comes from the Latin for source or spring, as in the English word for a a baptismal font, rather than the bit that sprays water. There you go. That's why it's called a fountain pen. All right, thanks for joining me this week. It's been great to catch up with you. Uh, Please do connect with me on social media, either in the Facebook group that I've already mentioned, or you can connect with me personally at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.